You're listening to Around the King's Table, a podcast of the Mount Church in Clemson, South Carolina, with Pastor George Marshall and Pastor Brian Mann. Pull up a chair and listen in as they seek to serve up biblical dialogue for building disciples of Jesus. Welcome to another episode of Around the King's Table. Uh, From time to time, as we preach through books of the Bible as a church, uh, we like to do reflection episodes where the goal is to sort of step back and look at the book from a wider, more summary angle, uh, is to talk about some of the trees without losing sight of the forest. And so in our church, we've been preaching through John's gospel for how long now? Um, Six or seven months. Something like that, yeah. So we're at the halfway I'll point, follow. though. We're yeah, at the halfway point, going. 10 chapters deep, and that's what we want to reflect on today. So that said, I'm Brian. I'm George. George, and helping us to sort of tighten John's grip on our hearts as a people while preparing us for re-entry at the end of August, <laughs> uh, we have two of our best expository listeners. Nice. <laughs> uh. I'm Jonathan. Jonathan Rollins. I'm Janet. Janet Rollins. All right. So before we get going, why don't y'all tell us a little bit about yourselves? We'll try to fill in the blanks as well. Um, So I am Jonathan, one of the members here, one of the pastoral residents. Mm -hmm. Um, Thoroughly enjoying that, but especially enjoying John. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I'm his wife, Janet, and I do a lot of watching little people at my house. I was say, you have three? Three, three. children, mm-hmm. a four-and-a-half-year-old and twin two-and-a-half-year-olds, so mm-hmm. they keep me busy. Mm-hmm. Um, keep anybody busy. Well, that's true. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's my life. But it's the great thing about it is I have a lot of opportunity to listen to the Word and podcasts and listen mm-hmm. to sermons again, and that's really awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you basically hold the church together at this point. <laughs> right? Well... I, I guess I have, as I, I called it in my previous church where I was a secretary, I'm not officially here. I called it the church big sister role because you kind of do all the things and they're not even all secretarial. So you, I'm starting to, I'm starting to assume yeah. that role here, I suppose. Do all the things. Yeah. And, and one other thing about Jonathan too, is that you've preached for us I have, a yes. few times. Mm-hmm. So has it been twice? Just twice? Just twice? Well, and then twice on one of the Sunday night. Oh, okay. Then you had a couple of the okay. And you actually preached for us in John. Mm-hmm. John 7, seven. right? Mm-hmm. 25 to 36, if I remember correctly. Yes. All right. Well, thanks for being with us. Of course. All right. So here we go. Ready? Questions? Uh, how would you summarize the book's message so far? So again, we're talking John's gospel. How would you summarize the book's message? I'll start with... Start with me? George. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I, Sorry, I put you... Put you. Side of place. I'll try not to take it to my head. Um, I mean... What always stands out to me, and we see it in John 1 through 10, is the way that John is revealing himself to his disciples at the same time as people, other people who hear his message, it separates them. It, it, he, that, that whole um, sort of dichotomy between those who hear his voice and respond positively yeah. and those who hear his voice and go, nope, that's demons. Uh, that's, that can't be the Savior. That can't be the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I think, really stands out in chapters 1 through 10. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, it's the kind of playing off of that as he reveals himself, it's knowing him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Jesus was making it emphatic that to know me is to know the Father. I think so many times we want to know God and we forget that to know God is to know Jesus and to mm-hmm. know Jesus is to know the Father. Mm-hmm. And not just the risen 
Not just the risen Jesus, but the, the, living, the living Jesus. Jesus among us. He's fleshing out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The word become the, flesh. The Father. God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think for me, just the personal um, of John, so many of the gospels are written from like second, almost second or third hand. Like someone's interviewed for Luke, you know, interviewed a bunch of people that were eyewitnesses. Or um, a lot of people believe that Mark was heavily influenced by Peter, but Peter didn't write the Gospel of Mark. Matthew did, you know, witness, but he doesn't really write it so much from, like, his perspective is more of, like, a historical recording of the facts. Whereas I feel like John gives more of a personal um, touch to it Mm -hmm. a bit. Um, And also just because his Gospel is so different in structure and in nature than the other ones, it... Um, it's just a different feel. And almost, I was telling Jonathan the other night when we were talking through some of these questions, it makes me feel almost like I'm right there in the middle of it happening versus I'm like back watching it happen either Hmm. from afar or on like a TV screen in the news or whatever. It it makes me feel more like I'm actually there um, seeing it with my own eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really helpful. Yeah. And to bring it full circle sort of to what you had begun with, uh, for me, I just put... To receive the word, right? So in the beginning was the word. Mm-hmm. This is Christ. Uh, he is the word incarnate. To receive the word, you must be born again. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, you see him revealing the Father. Um, again, uh, disseminating truth to the masses. And you watch the responses of that world to mm-hmm. the things that he has to say. And you're sitting there wondering... Why did these people respond like this? Right. And why do these people respond like this? Why do some believe and why do some reject? And ultimately, it's in that that little line to Nicodemus, right? You must be born again. Mm-hmm. And so, to me, so far, that's been the the, the message, right? Now, obviously, the I think the remind me, I think the um, uh, the title for the sermon series is that you may believe, right? Mm-hmm. I yes. think that's right. That you may believe. And so again, seeing the new birth as basic and fundamental to a true faith mm-hmm. in Jesus Christ, I think is, has been really critical in the first 10 chapters. Yeah. And I think as we move on to the next half, especially what Janet was saying, you know, this whole idea of testimony becomes even more important as John is really saying, you know, we do this so that you may believe and then you'll pass it on to the next generation. Mm -hmm. This really emphasis on discipleship haven't quite gotten there yet. Right. Yeah. When you're answering a question that's later on. Oh man. That's okay. We'll get there. Uh, Any particular themes of the book that have stood out for you so far? Anybody can answer. Somebody else should go first this time. Yeah. I think playing off of what I said to begin with was to knowing the, knowing the Father. I mean, we haven't got to John's thesis statement. We won't get to that for a while. It's at the end of the book. It was at the end. You know, <laughs> kind of hides it from us. And then he's like, oh, right. by the way, here's why I wrote this. Right. But I think playing off what Janet said earlier was the the message of the book and knowing, seeing how John is almost a theological treatise. The others kind of wrote a biographical sketch, mm-hmm. whereas John definitely had a laser focused, I'm mm-hmm. writing for this purpose. And you just see that running through and that he's writing so that you may believe. And I, I think he actually says that you may believe that Jesus is the son of God. And he is definitely arguing for the deity of Christ. Hmm. And I think it's, it's, it's not ironic, but it's, it's interesting how this is the one book that Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, mm-hmm. this is where they want to go to try to refute the deity of Christ. But yet it's the book that was written specifically for it. Yeah. Right. And just really arguing for yep. his deity and his, his 
God head. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think for me, um, also playing off the word believe, but in a slightly different fashion, one thing that really stood out to me is kind of a theme that ties through the first part of John, at least, is the difference between faith in Jesus as like a prophet or his works or whatever versus yeah. faith in Jesus as Messiah, yeah, faith in Jesus as who he claimed to be. I just was really, um, for the first, maybe not the first time, but for the first time in a while, it was standing out to me as we were going through is just how many times I said, well, they believed in him, but it wasn't a saving faith. It didn't necessarily say those words exactly, but it would be like, they believed in him and then they yeah. turned away and they believe, you know, the father of the boy who yeah. was, was healed, believed Jesus's words yeah. and then he went off. But then it says when he hears that the boy actually was healed, it says, and then he believed in Jesus. And so just that delineation between, okay, I kind of sort of believe in Jesus as a historical figure that our world kind of brings about, or I kind of sort of believe that he, you know, works some miracles and whatever. Like that's yeah. totally different from regenerative faith. Mm. Um, and so that is something I've seen, you know, a lot of through John. Um, and also wow. just noticing, so I'm a writer and I love, I teach writing and I love John as a writer. I love his writing style. And so I think this um, series has helped me to look beyond that, like not just enjoy it as a really well-written book, because that tends to be where I get stuck (laughs) in reading John. It's like, oh, I just love the way it's written. But just to really focus on what is he actually saying? So seeing how he chooses specific symbols and connects them through have been really impactful to me as well. Um, just in understanding the book better, understanding his perspective of Jesus better and how he is using those to drive his not yet disclosed thesis statement point forward of believing in Jesus. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to your point, like he, so he, John is not after any old kind of faith. Yeah. That's the thing, which I think speaks very powerfully into the church, mm-hmm. into cultural Christianity and, and things of this ilk. Uh, he is after, Jesus is after. He records Jesus as being right. after a real, authentic, genuine faith. That's what he's trying to get at. And a lot of times, I think one of the things we're going to, about to get to, what's surprising about it, is that he does that by way of uh, like making uh, sort of a, a negative sure. statement. He shows, he shows the positive. He shows what real faith is by showing us what the inauthentic faith is. Right. Um, yeah. it's, a, it's, a very, it's a critical thing to understand in John's Gospel. Yeah. Um, something that stood out, stood out to me is kind of thematic. I mean, we talk a lot, you know, Matthew shows Jesus as king and bringing the kingdom, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. But with John, the thing that stood out and I wasn't expecting was really the way in which he embodies the festivals. Not just mm-hmm. that he yeah. is a better Israel, Agreed. but that he's actually like the focus of the law itself and not just the law, like do this, do that, do this, do that. Mm -hmm. But these festivals of joy and appreciation for God's salvation, feast of tabernacles, especially comes to mind in this John one through 10, but he is the embodiment of it. Not just he's trying to mimic it, but he's the embodiment. He's the, he is the, the dwelling among us. He is the light of living water Mm -hmm. and the light of the world. So all these things, they come together in these festivals and, I mean, that's just one. Of course, we're not quite to Passover, but we'll see John play that up even more with the Passover. Yeah. Um, and I say play that up. I don't mean that negatively. But just he really wants to emphasize that in the way in which Jesus is not just not just prophet, not just savior, not just Messiah, king, but he's really the embodiment of the law and the goodness of the law that God gave to Israel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
No, it's good. All right, moving along. Any specific verse or section of this gospel that's been distinctly impactful for you? Well, like I said, John is one of my favorite books, and I always get stuck in verses one, chapter one, verses one through eighteen. It's just it's so beautifully <laughs> written. Um, I could which probably, I took in a single sermon. I know. Which I, don't I was about impressed. The wisdom, the wisdom. It was <laughs> it was heavy lifting yeah. there. Yeah. Um, so that always stands out to me. But trying to think about specifically the series, the verse that stood out to me um, was when. Uh, John the Baptist hears of yeah. how Jesus is doing all these works and his disciples are like, uh, uh, excuse me, what, right. what about your ministry? And his, his yeah. plea that he must de- increase and I must decrease. And just that, that, that was his heart. And not to say that John was perfect or that he always had full on yeah. flat out faith like that. But just, I think a lot of, if we look at our lives through the lens of he must increase, I must decrease, it just cuts away a lot of the chaff. I mean, you could read huge portions of scripture about specific individual things in your life and how they're wrong or how life is supposed to be. But if we look through that lens, that already eliminates a lot of the issues, a lot of the problems, because it's not about us and it's about him. And so Mm -hmm. yeah, it was just... Yeah, I have a list of several verses here, but the very first one I have is John 3.30, which is what you just said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jonathan? I don't have verses. I have passages. Um, yeah. John 3. <laughs> I, I allowed sections. Any specific verse or section of John. Thankfully you did. Yeah. Yeah. Just John 3 as a whole. I mean, just... Yeah, of course. There's such familiarity in the first half. Um, but you must be born again. Um, the fact that it's a, a, yeah. a birth, not a, a a work. It's some nothing I can do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all God work. Yeah. Um, I had, I had the prologue. I mean, how could you not love the majesty that John writes with? I mean, just mm-hmm. the fisherman could write so richly. It's just amazing. Um, mm-hmm. but then John five through seven, that's where Jesus really gets into the, this is the one for me. Again, you'll see the thing that the knowing that the yeah. father witnesses to me, the, the word, the scriptures witness to me and how, like George was saying, it's just Jesus is the fulfillment of, I mean, I, I can't imagine as a Jew hearing, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because mm-hmm. you turn and look and there's a man and it's like, you would, you know, a lamb and a lamb, we, they, they knew that a lamb didn't take away the sin because they had to do it again tomorrow mm-hmm. or this evening. Later in the evening. Yeah, later in the evening. <laughs> later later in the evening. I do it again. Um, it's a wonder they had to be flocks. Um, yes. But... Just hearing that and thinking on him as the focus of of the law and of the Old Testament, um, and then like I said, just John five through seven, just that if you're going to know God, you've got to know mm-hmm. me, um, and these are the things that testify of me. And yeah. so, if you're going to learn about me, this is where you go. Yeah, yeah. I think John seven fifty three through eleven always like just pivotal material. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> the section he skipped. Because it's not John. Right, exactly. But, yeah, whatever. No, I'm, I'm joking. No, uh, I just introduced a whole other episode. We'll just leave that alone. <laughs> I was just joking. No, I, yeah. I, I think John 5 stood out for me uh, from chapter 1 through 10, pick right in the middle, but yeah. uh, just Jesus focusing on his own authority, his equality with God, 
And yeah, so many people want to come to John and go, yeah, John, uh, Jesus isn't being explicit about his deity. That's just something the church has added on later. And you're just like, how did, did, did you read the same book? It's not like he's being cagey about it. it there's no, no, it's not really dicey or he's not being failed about it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there's the, especially 18 to the end of the chapter you know, stood out to me. Yeah. This is why they were seeking to kill him because he was calling out his father, making himself equal. Yeah. I'm sure you read that. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I think uh, we obviously have to make uh, mention of Nicodemus, yeah. uh, just the conversation with Nicodemus, because Nicodemus becomes such a pivotal figure on the oh, whole theology of John. Yeah. Um, so I think we have to mention that. The John 3.30, we already <clears throat> mentioned he must increase, I must decrease, we must decrease. John 5, we mentioned, uh, again, those are some of my favorites as well, where he's just saying, yeah, the whole Bible's about me. Like, the yeah. whole Old Testament's about me. You can't read that. If you, if you read that rightly, you're going to see me, and you're going to believe in me. Uh, John 6 for me was um, probably one of the most difficult sections uh, mm-hmm. to, to preach, but just so rich. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially just the idea that, you know, he's just fed these thousands of people. So he has uh, a mega church, you know, like he has people following him, thousands and thousands of people following him wherever he goes for his works for the things that he can do for them at the earthly level. And uh, then he begins to talk, (laughs) begins to preach, you know, and ultimately he's having to turn to his 12 and be like, do you want to go away as well? You know, well, there's a whole thing going on, just like we were talking actually at the end of Bible study, just a little bit ago, where we're talking ultimately, you know, the, numbers so you have this narrative of them going into the land and the first yeah. generation yep. being rejected you have this whole people who's mm. hanging on his provision that's clearly john is clearly mm. trying to you know show reenacted that, yeah. that provision of god in the wilderness yeah. but then also the failure of the generation mm-hmm. because of disbelief and yeah. who will believe who's going to be the one who's going to stand out as, and shown as the, the faithful who believe and then follow him mm-hmm. yep it's good the last one the one that's always i think um uh, stood out for me is John 8, 28. So not Romans 8, 28, <laughs> but, but John 8, 28, where he says, when I am lifted up, mm-hmm. then you'll know that I am he. Mm-hmm. And I just can't help because of, because of what John's gospel is trying to get at, as Jonathan mentioned, in terms of the deity of Christ, I can't help but read into that that it's when Christ is lifted up on the cross. Like if you want to know God, if you want to see God, Here's God. God is most uh, powerfully manifest, most beautifully manifest when Christ is crucified Mm. on the cross where Jesus died. We see God. Mm. And uh, that to me, all the barriers to uh, to faith really are put to the test at that moment. Well, and, and all the barriers to God mm-hmm. are laid to rest. Yep. <laughs> like all there is now is your own unbelief. You know, if you believe in Christ, 
your sins will be forgiven. You know, the temple, the curtain of the temple is torn in two and all these kinds of things and you have access to God. Yeah. And so, uh, that's, I mean, even that idea of being lifted up is just a theme through John two. That's, that's one right. that he keeps pulling yeah. back to it. And, and John 12, he's going to John 12. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking specifically that one when yeah. the church that we went to previously, whenever we would have a baptism, we would sing a song about lifting Jesus higher. And that Jesus mm. said, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw them in onto me. And just how, Every aspect of our life is supposed to be elevating him to yep. draw people to him, not mm. for any other reason. Again, with the he must increase, I must decrease, just that mm-hmm. same idea. It's almost, he doesn't say lift Jesus higher there, but it's the same idea. It's that same, has, coming as a, from a writing perspective, it's that same yeah. idea of the theme weaving through in different perspectives, yeah. even though it doesn't come out right and say lift yeah. it up there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, moving on again. Uh, anything you maybe didn't expect from John that as you've gone through it, you found surprising or particularly useful for you? I'm going to go right back to what I was just saying, just the idea of the, the um, symbols that John uses. We know that a lot of the I am statements come from John, not that they aren't in other parts of the Bible as well, but I had not realized, from again, from a writing perspective, just how tied in they were to everything else John was portraying at the time about Jesus. So, mm. you know, that I am the light of the world comes like in the festival. Of, I didn't realize that was the Feast of Lights until you were preaching mm. on it. I had, I was like, oh, it's the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. Okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, how how does that relate to anything? I did not realize how embedded Jesus was into taking the most of the opportunity of the time he was in and the yeah. place he was in. Not just, I'm just pre- preaching the message and I know the hearts of men, so I'm going to speak to your heart because I know, you know, you need to hear this right here, right now. But even just for the crowds, for the general, everyone there using what is, what is he in the middle of doing? He feeds the 5,000 and then he talks about being the bread of life. It's that they're right. so interconnected. I did not realize um, before just how interconnected these symbols were not only in how John weaves them through, but also in how Jesus used them himself in right. the specific time frames. Yep. Um, and that was just very, very cool. It was contextualizing. Mm. <laughs> What's your brother? I mean, that was the same thing. Just the fact that like he goes straight from feeding the 5,000 to I'm the bread of life. Yeah. And just how he ties. Everything is a lesson about him. Mm-hmm. Well, it is, but he just ties life in general to himself. Because he is and, life. And it's that living... He, he <laughs> is life, but it's, yeah. it's that living the gospel. For us as Christians, it's that living the gospel. Yeah. yeah. Um, letting that gospel impact every area of our life. Yeah. Sometimes we want to just isolate it to, it's mm-hmm. the gospel, it's my free ticket to heaven, but mm-hmm. Jesus wants it to be so... It, it's more than that. Yeah. It's, he had a particular identity that he never put off. Mm-hmm. And by God's grace, we also have a particular yeah. identity that we're never to put off. Yep. Yeah. And I think just his... His laser focus through his mission. He came to accomplish a, a task. Yeah. And just, there was nothing that was going to deviate him from that. Yeah. The synoptics will say, which is, if you don't know that, it's Matthew, Mark, Mark, and Luke. Luke. Yeah. We're talking about him setting his face like flint to Jerusalem. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, probably this came about because I was taking a class at the same time in Ezekiel, but it really helped cement mm. the similarity. There's a lot of Ezekiel. In- Ezekiel and John 10, it's just like mm-hmm. laying, mm-hmm. intertwining. I mean, between, you know, his self-references, right. his son of Adam, all of the, so, you know, especially when you start dealing with chapters 34, 35, 36, 37, um, the bleed over with you know, John 7 and, and his 
discussions and, and controversies with the Pharisees and scribes, the, the, the Jews, as John says, mm-hmm. um, it all just comes together so well. And then just to think on some of how that then really plays out, because emphasis in Ezekiel, you know, there's a couple different things going on, but um, you have... To say the least. Well, yeah. But I mean, so one of the main things that stands out is the way in which uh, Ezekiel doesn't worry so much about yeah. a Messiah human figure, but he plays up temple as Messiah to the point where we see now Jesus coming and saying, you know, yeah, a tabernacle. I am tabernacling among yeah. you. I am the temple, yeah. um, my body. I'll tear this temple down and rebuild it. Um, yeah. This kind of language, all of a sudden you see, okay, w- w- now we see kind of Ezekiel fulfilled in what Jesus is saying. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 the sense in which Ezekiel's talking to a both an exiled community and a community that hopes to return and the way in which Israel sort of sits still in exile in a real sense, separate from God's blessings, even though they're in the land, they failed to really make good um, on God's blessings by following him, being loyal, being covenant Mm -hmm. faithful. Yeah. And Jesus is going to be that covenant faithful Mm -hmm. servant. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, For me, I think, so it's a combination of things. Uh, one is, you know, like we, in Ephesians 2, 1, we hear a lot, of, we talk a lot about, use the, use the verse a lot, you know, uh, and you were dead yeah. in your trespasses and sins. What does that actually look like? Okay, just go read John 1 through 10, and I'm assuming maybe a lot of the rest of the gospel as well. But like, just go look at, at, at his... Um, the folks that are around him, how they respond to him, and you will see. You will see, um, if you ever wonder what depravity, spiritual depravity looks like, total depravity, whatever you want to call it, uh, go spend some time in these first, the first half of John's gospel, and it'll be in living color for you. So I think that, but, but I think the frequency with which you see it, hmm. sometimes you just step back and go, what is wrong with these these folks, you know, like really like they can't, but, but they're dead. Like they're, they're spiritually dead. They're very religious, but they're spiritually dead people. And, but then, so on the other side of that, I think one of the things that has been surprising to me is again, so when we talk about, um, God's initiative in our salvation, a lot of times we go straight to Paul mm-hmm. That's a Pauline concept or something right. like that. But it's like, no. As if it's added after Christ. Like, Jesus gets people. He knows what's in man. Mm. And so when he's talking about, yeah, like, it's really not that big of a surprise at all that you're not believing. <laughs> like, he says this multiple times right. in the first little bit. And he's like, it's because you're dead in your sins and you must be born again. Mm-hmm. And then he gets into issues of election and all these things the where he's salvation. laying, yeah, he's laying salvation mm-hmm. at the throne of God and, and not with man. And so I think, but the, the, um, the frequency with which he is doing that, John six, you know, John eight, mm-hmm. John 10. Yep. Uh, I mean, it's through the whole thing. And uh, so just to see that coming from Jesus, I think, is something worth noting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what's one or two of the, the favorite things that you have seen about Jesus so far? Feel free. We don't like dead air. Uh, no, it's fine, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I think one of the things that stands out is just his uh, forthrightness, uh, his yeah. ability to speak. And it's not just... 
the world wants a Jesus that is a lovey-dovey. He's always, he's, he's hippie Jesus more than anything else. And John 1 through 10 shows a Jesus who's way more incisive and clear-cut and direct, um, whether those around him hearing or believing or not. He's going to be direct. He's going to share, and he is not going to mince words. Yeah, it's not, I mean, it's not necessarily a, a, a rude directness. It's no, just no, like, no. It's just like, that's who, he's the word. So he just speaks yeah. Truth and, and and grace. So yeah. that hurts me. Put it last week. We want to draw people to the light by turning the light out. Yeah. Hide it. But I think his his willingness to meet people where they were. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. He just took whatever whatever they came with, baggage and all, regardless, and dealt with it. Um, but then just going back to his laser focus, just the the I came for this purpose, mm-hmm. and his purpose was. To redeem a people for himself, right? And he's not gonna let, like I said earlier, nothing is gonna deviate him from that. Yeah, Satan himself tried. Mm-hmm. He nope and failed. Yeah, and <clears throat> praise the Lord. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not sure this is a true answer to the question, but what I was thinking right. about is um, just this this time through John um, with our church has really reminded me. I think it's easy to take Genesis 1 and to take Colossians and go, okay, how do those two fit? God spoke and said that there was light, and it says that by Jesus all things are created. But John 1 saying Mm. he was the word, so he was delivered as the spoken word of God. Mm. His power is what enabled creation, and that just... Again, I had been lost in the poetry of it so many times reading through because it's so beautiful, but mm. just making those connections of Jesus's power being just amazing and how that is. And I think also just um, how Jesus is always, like George said, he's on mission. He's not willing to... Um, be distracted from that. And yet in the same time, even though he's not willing to be distracted from his mission, he does not lack compassion for people. Mm -hmm. He does not lack um, the time to speak into their lives or to, to work a miracle for them or to um, meet a physical need that he knows ultimately is not as important as their spiritual need. He Mm -hmm. is willing to, Um, intercede on those levels as well. It's not like, I'm here to be spiritual. So let's talk about spiritual stuff all the time. You know, I'm going to ignore what's going on in your life. We're just going to only talk all spirit all the time. Here we go. I'm Jesus. (laughs) It was not that at all. He was his, his wordness. He was allowing to impact on every level of being, not just the spiritual level, but also the physical level. Also the, emotional level. I mean, think of the woman at the well, he was meeting her where she was emotionally Mm -hmm. feeling pulled away from her community. And it was because his word met her where she was there that she went back and was like, I don't care that I was the only one at the well right then. I'm going to go tell everybody that already knows everything about me. Mm -hmm. And because I've seen it, that this man confirmed all of that. And I'm going to tell you about him. It Mm -hmm. wasn't about you know, her emotional state prior to meeting Jesus. It was her yeah. emotional state after the word of Jesus impacted her mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He is the God who speaks. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. For me, so 
uh, I think I've loved seeing Jesus, the pastor, mm-hmm. uh, Jesus, the shepherd, uh, at multiple levels, uh, just how insistent he is on the Bible. Like, yeah. this is what the word says. Right. Yep. He's just, he's constantly pointing people to the word, mm-hmm. which is himself. <laughs> um, his, his missional urgency, which Jonathan's been mentioning. Um, one of the uh, passages that I think we may have not yet covered is right after his encounter with the woman of Samaria. That's where you have lift up your eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. the, the fields are white for harvest. And, and so there is a seeing his missional urgency there in that way, his call to his disciples to, to be engaged in, in reaping, sowing, sowing and reaping. Uh, but then also, of course, like as he, he doesn't go anywhere without engaging somebody. Yeah. So, so seeing that, uh, and then his ability to endure whatever comes his way, you know, whether it is his his fumbling disciples, <laughs> or whether it is the Pharisees and their obstinance and their opposition, and yeah. or whether it's close people, his own disciples in John six, hearing his word and then leaving, the, the, departing from him, you know, like pastorally enduring, uh, forbearing those kind of what we might call ministry disappointments, you know, these kinds of things I think has been really, really helpful for, for us, for me, uh, his morphology, his ministerial morphology, right? Like he can talk to Nicodemus who was the definitive teacher of Israel. And then he turns right around and it's the woman of Samaria. Yeah. Yeah. You cannot have two more opposite people. And Jesus is engaging both of them in ways that are, uh, fitting for them to ultimately come to faith. So I think seeing that, and then of course, John 10 with the whole good shepherd passage, um, is just so good to think through, uh, his self-sacrificial love for his sheep, uh, how he uses, he has a real authority from, from God, the father. We talked about this a good bit, mm-hmm. uh, but he uses that authority, um, to obey, the father in order to provide a salvation for his people. Yeah. So he uses it for the good of his sheep, mm-hmm. that authority. And so I think just seeing all of that about him has been really, really helpful for, for me. Some of the favorite things that I've seen about Jesus. How do you think John speaks to us in our particular cultural moment as Christians right now? I think for me, so the, the statement I made earlier about we want to draw to the light, but turn the light off. We, that was in a podcast about culturalization of the church, trying to make the church fit the culture. Mm-hmm. And just thinking back through that and, and with, with Jesus and how, like you said, it's always the word, the word, the word, the word, the word, the word. Yep. And so many times in our churches, we want to kind of hide our light under the bushel so that we can get more people to come. And then we don't preach them the word. We might preach them the word, but it's not really what they need to hear. It's, it's the sermon that the Jews going to walk in and sit there and go, yep, I agree with that. It's all moralistic. And there's no imperative that because Jesus, this, you should that. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus was just very willing to say, no, you're living in sin. You need to stop and move on and repent. Mm-hmm. And just his very willingness, not just, I mean, to meet people where they were, both emotionally and in their sin. Mm-hmm. Um, he confronts Nicodemus for his lack of knowledge of the scriptures. 
Right. And I think if you... <laughs> he does that frequently. He does. But if, if you take the thread of Nicodemus through the whole book, I think you look at it and you see that... It's moving into our next question. That I think Nicodemus actually <laughs> challenges and looks into... He, I would argue that Nicodemus probably goes and studies the scriptures. Yeah. Because you see his conversion later that he just... He goes through because he pops up in John 7 where he challenges the whole Sanhedrin. I mean, yeah. that was bold to yeah. challenge the Sanhedrin. Um but you see that he was willing to go study the scriptures and learn yeah. who Jesus was mm-hmm. and just being willing to, at the same time, our, we, Jesus didn't come to change the culture. He came to change people. And eventually if enough people are it saved, the it changes the culture. But so many times we want to take our Christianity and force it on the culture and the culture has no reason to change because they're not born again. Mm-hmm. And so having that, the word be the basis of our church mm-hmm. and to a lot of degree keeping the culture out because the culture doesn't fit the word. Mm. I think um, sort of similar to what Jonathan was saying, but a little bit different, just the idea of Jesus coming and um, sorry, I just totally lost my train of thought. Uh, Jesus coming to be, not a voice um, of one crying in the wilderness like John the Baptist was, but to be one who is uh, engaged in everyday life of people and that he's meeting them where they are mm-hmm. is, is a great thing to know. But in our culture of kind of the dichotomy between vocal outrage of enormous proportions yeah. and tolerate everybody. I don't know how on <laughs> earth the culture thinks they're supposed to do both of those simultaneously. Haven't figured it out yet, yeah, but right. that we're called for a third way, a better way, which is as Jesus did to speak to culture, the truth, um, in a way that is not tolerant, but that is loving. Um, but also not in a way that is yelling at that. I know I'm repeating some of the things we talked about in our evangelism book study this morning, but just the idea that that's how Jesus approached his ministry. It wasn't that he went and yelled at everybody from the temple courts, although he did go in the temple courts and raise his voice. That wasn't like the sole focus of his ministry. And it was even more impactful that he did that because that was not what people did in the temple courts back then. It wasn't like he went to the place where all the Greeks were debating philosophy and joined his voice to that throng. He was willing to stand countercultural as appropriate, but he was also willing to meet people where they were in the culture. And I think a lot of times we are, we don't understand how on earth we can, again, this idea of being in the world, but not of it. How do we meet people where they are without compromising who Christ is, without compromising what he's called us to be, who he's, you know, how he's called us to live. But yet I think sometimes we just neglect the obvious of looking at Jesus's life as an example of that. Not that we could in any measure live up to that example um, or that we should expect to, but um, not being willing to compromise and yet being willing to love. I think um, it's a third way that the world is not interested in hearing because not only are they unregenerate and unredeemed, but the culture in, in the world is under the power of Satan. I think right. sometimes we forget that too. It's like, why on earth would we want to try to 
make Satan less Satan. That's impossible. Why are we trying to attempt something that was A, not ever what we were called to do? Because we aren't called to impact the kingdom of darkness in the spiritual kingdom sense. Like we're not called to go change the angels' hearts or the demons' hearts or whatever. We're called to speak the truth to people. Yeah, I, we've been talking, you know, tolerance a couple times this morning. And I would say, especially as it touches our cultural moment right now, is the culture has moved on from tolerance. Tolerance was fine. Now it's acceptance. And actually, the word that keeps on coming up in my feed that I see more and more is championing. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. if we, we're supposed to be championing everybody with whatever they do. And I think Jesus in John 1 through 10 provides a great example of, no, that has, he's not interesting in championing you in whatever you're doing. Um, he's going to call out your sin. He's going to also approach you um, if you have a willing heart to, to listen, if you're going to hear. Um, but he's not championing. He, he, he accepts on his own terms. It's not a, I just accept you where you are and you're fine and move on from there. No, it's go and sin no more. Mm-hmm. It's I'll come to you where you are and I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to call you to change. Absolutely. And so I think that's an Johnny. important... Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's a huge thing that we need to get from John 1 through 10, especially as it touches on our culture today is, yeah, we're we're not called to just be lovey-dovey, accepting of sin, accept everybody with there are no judgment. That wasn't the message Jesus gave. Now, he's Jesus, but he's calling us to actually follow him as disciples. And that's going to require us to do a little bit more than just accept and champion. Yes. We're going to have to actually call out sin and love at the same time. Yeah. I'll just throw my chip in for incarnational ministry. Uh, I mean, again, uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us in a culture that is more isolated than maybe ever before, Mm -hmm. uh, has very little face-to-face interaction with people. Of course, that's now creeping into the church where uh, Christians are more than fine really? in a lot of cases not all cases but in a lot of cases to have the preacher preaching on the screen or, or whatever it is everything's like audio visual but there but the incarnation incarnational aspect of christian ministry i think is something that by virtue of christ's incarnation becomes uh really really important for today um so there's my chip i'll just throw <laughs> that in there um go to church people gather <laughs> gather <laughs> gather with the body yeah, so Go to we'll, we'll leave that. Well, yeah, that's right. We'll we'll leave that there uh, before I get in trouble. <laughs> what good uh, do you discern God's done in our church by John so far? I, I said the thing that stands out is we've had a lot of people who you know they're they're coming um, and they're dealing with election. They're dealing with their responsibility and salvation. And I think John yeah. just cuts right through, speaks very directly on it. Yep sharing a balanced picture that we we need um, so that we don't fall into one side or the other without understanding how God is actually working. Not to say that we're going to understand it like, I've got that, I've got God in a box, but there are elements of election. There are elements of personal responsibility uh, and salvation. So we we need that whole picture. Yeah. And John gives it. Yeah. When it's not, to, to, to that point, it's not just joining theology. Like it is, but but John again is recording the words of Jesus. Like right. he's recording things that Jesus really said. It's it's Christ's uh, word there. Yeah. About either of you two to add there. Is there anything good that God's done in our church through John? I think um, he's used the the study over 
yeah, I think we started way back in the fall, actually, in John. So it's been six or seven months, mm-hmm. but over yeah. a period of more like nine or something months right. mm-hmm. uh, that we've been studying. But I think really he's prepared even our hearts for like the book study we're doing this summer with Before You Share Your Faith. I mean, mm-hmm. it... Uh, Matt Smeathurst. Matt Smeathurst, yes, Before yeah. You Share Your Faith. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, just adding to the relevance and to the importance of it. You know, we only talked briefly, like you said, about the fields being white for harvest mm-hmm. passage, but there's so many places through John 1 through 10 where he's calling um, his followers not only to give up their life, but to share that that hope with others. And so it's just provided a framework yep. that I think has made our discussions in the book study more rich. Um, it's allowed us to like connect with just reading the book on our own in a different, deeper way. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, I hope and pray that it's, it's preparing our hearts to be even more intentional about how we share our faith and, and that we are sharing our faith as a church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I've seen it feed into the, you know, the, the purpose statement of the church is to treasure Jesus. And right. I, I think I definitely see that more. I mean, it's a little difficult for us because we've only been here for right at a year. Mm-hmm. And then, so we started John in September. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or So we weren't here much before John. Um, mm-hmm. But I've just seen a, a love for, for Jesus in the church. Um, and also just a, a growing love for studying the word beyond just a mm-hmm. devotional reading, but a pouring into it, digging through it. Yeah. You know, taking the top off the sandbox and just move, digging the whole sandbox out of the way and diving down below that. Mm-hmm. Just trying to find meat and and just give a, a love for, for each other and for the body. Just through that, as you learn to love Christ more, yeah. eventually it's just going to pour out of you to yeah. the body. Yeah, I, I think that uh, John is has been theologically stretching. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not bad. Like that's a good thing. Uh, I think that uh, it's good for us to be rocked up theologically and uh, Christologically, especially. And uh, John has has definitely uh, given us uh, a good exercise. Uh, okay. Anything you're looking forward to, especially uh, on the back half of John's Gospel? Yeah. I mean, one could playing off of what you just said. You know, Christologically, one through ten is is awesome mm-hmm. to the point that one would not be held at fault for having a very binitarian view of what's going on. I'm looking forward to as the trinitarian aspect is pulled in as the spirit yeah, becomes central that? focus to yeah. Jesus. Right, wants to say, share as mm-hmm. I am crucified, I mm-hmm. am doing this with your best interests in mind. Um, you'll have the Holy Spirit. So be to your advantage mm-hmm. that I depart from you. Yeah, he'll mm-hmm. teach you. Remind you of what I've already taught yep. you. He'll bind you all together. He'll, <laughs> all of these things that we get from yeah. the Holy Spirit. And Jesus starts specifically praying for them in the latter half of John. So I'm, uh, that's what I'm looking forward to is that that fleshing out of what could have been just seen as a binitarian, but he he makes it full figured. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to just the um, embodiment again of this idea with I mentioned at the very beginning that John kind of brings you right in the middle of what's going on. And so the fact that almost half of John's gospel is given to the final weeks of Jesus's life. And then, you know, a little bit about after his ascension, 
versus, you know, Jonathan and I were even looking it up because like, I feel like the other ones don't give quite that much. It's more like a quarter or a third maybe in the other gospels is given to that. Whereas John is like almost half of it is about this short period of time. And so that really, again, draws you into the scene, makes you feel like you're, you're actually witnessing it along with John instead of just off from a distance. And so I'm excited just to see that. And, um, and also to dig again, beyond the, the surface level of beautiful writing, which John is, mm. but how, um, how the spirit, cause again, John wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which again, as a fisherman, how on earth could he write so beautifully? Well, in fact, he did not write it of his own accord, <laughs> but under the guide of the Holy Spirit. And so, um, just how the spirit, uh, impacted and influenced John to present, um, the gospel in this light and how that impacts us as a result is, I'm excited. Hmm. This is almost going to sound cheap and cliche, but I'm looking forward to seeing how he ties all these things back together. He almost feels like you've got some separate threads running through, and they're just loose hanging off the end of the rug. And at the end of it, he finally ties it together, and you see this beautiful woven tapestry of... So you're saying you want to preach John 19? (laughs) That's what I heard. Is that... Not what I said, but (laughs) I won't balk at the chance either. Um, But I mean, just looking at how he's going to tie all this together and take these these strands, and you've got this beautiful tapestry of Christ as God incarnate, who is redeeming His people, giving them the seal and the surety of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yep, mine very quickly is the High Priestly Prayer. John 17 uh, is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, so I'm excited to to get there eventually, although I don't know that we're going to get there in the fall. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll see We'll see how we, how we do. 2025? <laughs> uh, and then, of course, uh, the great, um, the cross, you yeah. know, um, and, and the it is finished. Like, there's, there's nothing... Uh, as as sweet and and maybe even as as great in scripture as Jesus on the cross saying it is finished it's mm-hmm. done yes. and so um, I'm yeah to tell us die so I'm I'm really excited to to be able to get there and and um, press on past it as well because uh, there yeah. is a resurrection yeah so um, any final thoughts on John's gospel as we head out going once love it love yeah. it of course you know. you're a Christian <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you so much yes, for being here. Thank you yeah. for having us.